Welcome to the Whole Life Healing Podcast with Dr. Alexander Lloyd, best-selling author and founder of the Revolutionary Healing Codes Technique. Each week, Dr. Alex shares principles and methods from psychology, energy medicine, natural medicine, and spirituality to help you reduce stress, heal emotional and physical issues, and remove the barriers that hold you back from happiness and success. Join us as we learn to live our happiest, healthiest, and most successful lives. Here's Dr. Alex. Hi, Dr. Alex here. If you like the show today, or any day, I would love it if you took about 10 seconds to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I've been doing this for about 14 years now, and I spend hundreds of hours every year in preparation and recording the show. And if you like it, if it's worth your time, if you think it might benefit others, I would love it if you could leave a review to recommend to your friends or just recommend it to your friends that could benefit from listening to the show. Thank you so very much. Since we are going to be talking about issues of health and well-being, we wanted to make sure that you understand that this information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have. Hi. I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd and welcome to the new Jesus. Um, here's our uh, board for today and I'm not going to spend much time here because we've already talked about all of this. Um, um, God, scripture says that God is light in Him is no darkness at all. God is also love. We do love sometimes, sometimes not. God is love. God is all-powerful all-knowing, um, etc., and God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. Genesis 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was very good, but God did not create the sun, moon, stars until day 4. So what in the world was the light that God created that was very good in Genesis 1? Well, before that, the earth was without form and void. Void means nothing. Okay? So, it's my belief, and I've run this by some scholars, some research online, and it seems to fit, but again, don't believe it because I say it. Uh, you do your own search. Okay? Um, God is light. God is love. Love, the non-physical side, spiritual, mental, my conscious mind, will, and emotion. Light, the physical side. Okay? Um, e equals MC squared. Everything boils down to energy. Energy is light. Light is energy. Alright? So, we shouldn't be surprised that energy can have an unbelievably destructive effect in no time, as little as 60 seconds, if we're thinking and feeling the negatives instead of the positives. Negative hormones, chemicals, changes in tissue, cell that are negative. Or it can do the same thing to the positive. Very, very powerfully. I would say more powerfully than any medication, drug, surgery, or other intervention. Here's the same thing. It demonstrated in water. The only difference in these two water drops is a different energy that someone spoke into them. I know that sounds 
impossible to believe, but it's not. We did our own experiment kind of like this, where we had a person who um, uh, worked at a big water company. They have all the professional equipment and everything, and they took a bottle of Dasani water, brand new, took the cap off, analyzed it. There was zero copper in the bottle of Dasani water. Put the top back on, set it down, put a frequency generator, an energy frequency generator, beside the bottle of water. Looks kind of like a cell phone, little black uh, thing that looks like a cell phone. Tuned it to the frequency, the hertz, of copper. Let it run for several hours, turn it off, take the top off the bottle of Dasani water, test it again. Now it has physical copper in it. No joke. The water equipment they had, which we confirmed this, will not even pick up non-physical water. It doesn't pick up the frequency of water. It only picks up actual physical copper. Okay? And after the frequency generator, there's actual physical copper in the water. Uh, and, and quite a bit of it. More than enough to uh, kill the microbes and all that sort of thing, which copper is really great at. Okay, so even though these things seem nuts and crazy, um, they're being confirmed by science as just the way God made everything to work. Hey, when I was a little kid, uh, and if you're my age, you remember this, you know, we would watch Dick Tracy and his little uh, phone communicator, or Star Trek was the bigger one, you know, their communicator, where they'd whip it open, and then they would talk, and it looked exactly like our flip phone cell phones, okay? But when I was a little kid, you know, we would pretend that, but we never actually thought it would happen with no wires or, or that's energy, okay? And not only did God make energy to be sort of the um, source of everything, all right? But our internal spiritual and mental life work by energy. The memories we've been talking about that are either your source of love, joy, peace, and power, or anger, fear, anxiety, low self-worth, okay? Th those aren't flesh and blood and bone and tissue. They've cut out every part of the memories and they're still there. They exist as an energy pattern in a cell's energy field, meaning in and around that cell. The, the nucleus, as Dr. Lipton talked about that we talked about uh, not too long ago. Okay, so that's what this is about. Uh, Dr. Peck, our clinical director, uh, double board certified MD surgeon from Harvard. And these are two lists that, uh, we've done a bunch of lists, but to me these are probably the most important, at least uh, till now. Uh, the gray state, although I wouldn't say this that all four of the gray state, number one probably puts you in the gray state, but maybe we should call this the gray success state. Because if you live this way, it virtually guarantees your best life possible. Okay? Number one, um, right with Jesus. Jesus is my Lord, Savior, Bridegroom, High Priest, God, Yahweh, 
uh, Holy Spirit lives in me, Bible's the Word of God, and I'm so I'm right with God and Jesus and love, committed to love, because God is love, all right? And Jesus said the whole law is summed up in love. Number two, an intention only for good in everything you do, which is what love does automatically in you if you choose love, to do your absolute best. Number three, which love does in you if you have really committed to love. And then number four, prioritize and invest in relationships above everything else. That's where the real value or destruction comes from in not prioritizing relationships, but money, stuff, seek pleasure, avoid pain, etc. But if you're committed to love, love will do that one automatically too. So these are the four. Number one is really the power source. Number two, three, and four are the results that sort of happen automatically and effortlessly when... And I don't mean it'll always be effortlessly. There's always hard times. I believe usually the hard times is when you're either struggling not to go farther down on your path or you're struggling to go farther up on your path. A change. But we're supposed to seek change. Solomon said, I believe in Proverbs, always be searching, always be open to new truths and possibilities. In fact, be searching for them. Okay? And then this list kind of uh, what I would call God's laws of love, all right? Because if any one of these falls, love can fall. Number one, love requires the right truthful belief. Number two, love requires a choice to choose and commit to love, which is also choosing and committing to God because he is love, and Jesus because he's the Son of God who paid for my uh, grace, etc. Alright? So, choice. Number three, time. Because belief requires time. If there was no time, you wouldn't have to believe. It would be by sight and not uh, by faith. Okay? Truth. Truth always points the way to love, where falsehood points the way to fear, illness, all the things that come from that. Justice. God's a God of justice. So, any system that is the right system for, to live by has to satisfy the justice component, okay? Um, it has to. It's one of the immutable laws of not only the universe, but spirituality, okay? Number six, pain. We already addressed that. Pain is probably God's number one tool C.S. Lewis says, to rouse a deaf world, okay? Uh, pain is the chisel that God uses. We're the marble block, and God hammers on us, and it hurts, but he's doing it to bring out our best self, our perfect self. And then last, grace. That love would always choose grace for the object of its love, rather than punishment. But that grace has to be honest, truthful grace, which means it's got to be paid for. And love paid for my grace and yours. All right? The uh, Postulate or Condensed Truth by uh, Harry Lloyd. 
the philosopher. You can't recreate a thing without destroying it a little. Everybody wants to be different. Nobody wants to change. Okay? It's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result. Over 30 plus years, I have no idea how many clients I've had. Okay? But I would uh, make an educated guess that at least 9 out of 10 of them wanted to change but were not willing to change. Now, they wouldn't necessarily tell me at first they weren't willing to change. It would be, you know, homework, and then next week, okay, how did it go? Well, I really didn't um, get to that very much. Okay, no problem. Homework the next week, they come back, all right, how'd it go? Well, I, I tried it once, but it didn't go very good, and then I sort of got distracted, and okay, no problem. Homework next week. They come back next week. I mean, you get the idea, all right? Now, some people would uh, do, maybe you might say, better than that. They would try really, really hard. They were like my wife, a perfectionist or something, and they would typically come back and say, I tried really hard, but I couldn't do it. Now, sometimes they would say, oh, I tried really hard, and it's like a miracle. Everything's changed, and it's unbelievable, and thank you so much, and you're a genius, and uh, all that. And, and typically, I would say, well, okay, thank you very much, because I know, typically, that's going to decline some, and I'm not going to be that big a genius maybe in a few weeks. And yes, typically in a few weeks, their willpower isn't enough anymore, and now they're sliding back, okay? So my question is, is that true of you? Do you want to change? In my experience, almost everybody wants to change something, okay? I love, uh, one, uh, I'm a big music guy, and uh, I love the song by the Hollies says, all I need is the air that I breathe to love you. And then the song talks about, um, I don't need this. I don't need that. I don't need everything, anything. All I need is the air that I breathe. And all I need air for is to love. Okay. Hey, man. I love that. That is, that is on track as far as I'm concerned. But what do you want to change? Okay, that's, what, that's one thing I want you to think about this week. What do you want to change in your life? If you could, the, we talked about the genie thing. It doesn't have to be a genie thing. If, if God said, okay, Joe, okay, Mary, what's one thing that you want my help with to change? What would that be for you? Animal, vegetable, mineral, what would it be? Okay, well, the problem there is that you can't recreate a thing without destroying it a little bit. What does that mean? It means almost always when you go to change, it gets a little bit worse before it gets better. M. Scott Peck, the author of The Road Less Traveled, one of Hope's all-time favorite books, great book. Um, he wrote another book that talks about the stages of relationship, but it's really, to me, the stages to a successful life. And uh, one of those stages early on when you're trying to change is chaos. And he describes that to make almost any change in your life, to get to the other side 
where the change is made, you're living a different way, and your life is a little bit better. To accomplish that with anything in life, it almost has to get a little worse before it gets better. What does that mean? It means pain and suffering. The getting worse is painful. We're wanting something to get better, and so we work on it, and it gets worse. Okay? It doesn't feel good. Well, according to Dr. Peck, that's part of it. That's the way it works. We would say in this context, it's the way God made it to work. Okay? And Dr. Peck describes that the great majority of people, when they hit chaos, when they hit pain, even if they try to push through it for a while, the great majority end up going back to safety, going back to comfort, even though it's not really the life they want, but it's not the worst either. So it's kind of safe and comfortable, so they go back. And Dr. Peck talks about what a tragedy that is, that so few people ever reach their potential or what their life could have been, okay? It's got to get worse before it gets better most times. Occasionally, there's an exception to that, but not often. So, what do you want to change? And are you willing to go through the pain to get the change? Which is a better life, a better something. Okay, let's, uh, let's bring the board in, and this is going to be the shortest review ever, I believe, because Today, in a way, is sort of a part two of, of last week. Last week we talked about, um, almost like in uh, The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, where Frodo is embarking on a journey that is unlike anything he or his ancestors have ever done. It's something he's not comfortable with. He's comfortable staying in his hobbit hole and having like 27 meals a day, and that's what he's comfortable with. It, it seems. But Gandalf talks to him and he decides he's going to go, well, we're on a journey too. It's called life. And I believe the purpose of this life established by God is we are programmed. We have a GPS in us for God and for love and for truth. But we also have in our mind, our unconscious, subconscious, ancestry, Programming for fear. That's where the fight-or-flight response is, okay? Which uh, is a million times more powerful than your conscious intention or willpower, okay? That's when trying to change something for the good through willpower alone typically doesn't work. Uh, one of my favorite all-time preachers said, I probably said this before, about the only willpower I have is not to accomplish the thing, it's just to decide who'll get me. Either God or Satan's going to get me. I can't accomplish what I need to accomplish in my life by my own willpower. I only have enough willpower to choose who'll get me. And then it's either Satan deceiving me and taking me down the low road fear path, or it's me choosing God and the fruits of the Spirit and power that raised Jesus from the dead to empower me, and now I can do what I could not do before, literally, because I didn't have enough willpower. I wasn't strong enough. Not I, but Christ, who lives in me. Okay, so 
the journey essentials, um, and, and, and there's, you know, we already talked about the, uh, the seven laws of love and the grace state, okay? Those are essentials too, but these are ones that I think sometimes we take for granted or we don't even really realize they're a part of the deal. They're things that we need in our backpack for the journey that a lot of times we don't even think before the journey about putting in our backpack. We don't really, these aren't high on our priority list, but I believe they're high on God. So there's essentials for the journey and there's objectives for the journey. The objectives is to determine who you are, who God is, what the world is, and my place in it, and what I need to be about, okay? Uh, what's the meaning of your life? What's the purpose of your life? Is there a transformational truth that will change anything or change a lot of negatives into positive? I believe there is. Uh, what is the greatest lie in the history of the world, and are you believing it? Most of my clients have been. I certainly was for the first several decades of my life, and it about killed me and, and ruined my marriage and everything I valued. Uh, how do you fix your biggest problem? And we're going to get to that too. In order to own your life, what's your identity? Here's my identity card. <laughs> I'm a big Batman and Superman fan from way back. But, but, what is your identity card, okay? If you were, if God or if you or somebody were to make an identity card that accurately described who you are, what's your meaning, purpose, are you transformed, or how do you be, what's the biggest lie you're believing, how do you fix your biggest problem, I mean, that's sort of all wrapped up in worth and identity, significance and security, okay? Well, is your ID card correct? Or does it have an identity for you that is not accurate, but you're living by it anyway, okay? So to own your life so that you can, of your own free will, lay it down to become a servant and slave of the Almighty God with His power, His love, His blessing, His leading and guiding, His meaning, His purpose, His gifts, okay? Um, that's where we're headed, all right? Uh, so what are the journey essentials that maybe we're taking for granted or uh, they're in our backpack but they're down at the bottom and we've forgotten they're even in there and we don't ever use them when we should be using them? Okay? could be any of that. A new heart, a new spirit, the mind of Christ, to be transformed, the righteousness of God, and all of that apart from the law. Okay? So let's flip the board and get to this week. Okay. We're still talking about essentials and objectives for the journey. Okay? We're going to mainly talk about essentials today in, in more detail. Okay, Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and spirit. 1 Samuel 10 verse 1 is an example of that. Okay, Saul was being made king of Israel. And it says that Saul came in and he was, this is, this is in 1 Samuel 10, you can read it for yourself. It says he, Saul turned away to leave and God gave him a new heart. 
and it changed everything immediately in Saul. What did it change? He went from a nobody inside in his mind and heart to king inside in his mind and heart. His status changed. He's now king and feels like it, evidently, and is stronger and ready to take on that role where before he wasn't. His attitude has changed. So his status changed. His attitude changed. From what? He was turning away to leave. And God, whap, gave him a new heart. And it says he was transformed into king status, king attitude. Dramatic change like that when God gave him a new heart. Ezekiel 11 said that God will give an undivided heart. He will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, all right? And a new spirit. And that new spirit and an undivided heart will obey God. Naturally, you will obey me. Basically, it says... Well, does that mean God being mean and making a mandate? You're going to do what I say or else. No, no, no. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying the same thing he said in another passage. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I won't have to worry about the commandments. I won't have to worry about you obeying if you love me. I'm after the love. I'm after the heart. Okay? So Ezekiel 11, to be consistent with the nature of God, is we'll be given an undivided heart, a heart of flesh for a heart of stone, a heart focused on what God cares about and what is pleasing to God, because you will obey me. So this undivided heart and new spirit has to be in love because God says, when I do this, you will obey. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Faith without works is dead faith. Again, emphasis on the faith, not the works. The works will either be bad or correct, depending on the faith. The faith is the issue, and faith is a love, a love or fear issue. Okay? Um, some of the, uh, some of the scholars talked about this Ezekiel 11 passage. The new heart will mirror God's heart. Okay? Love, joy, peace, patience. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. God's system. Joy on one side for the virtue, sadness on the other side, the vice. And any issue you can ever have is in there somewhere. Well, when, when the undivided heart, the new spirit, were transformed, were changed, attitude and status, we, our new heart will mirror God's heart. The love, joy, peace side. Not the, not the uh, sadness, anxiety, anger, low self-worth side. Okay? Alright, so that's one uh, that we looked at. One of the gifts the essentials is a new heart, spirit, undivided heart, a change of status, and a change of um, 
attitude. And, and we'll see in a minute power. Okay, mind of Christ, another one of the essentials. Luke 19 indicates that the mind of Christ is to seek and save the lost. Relationships. Love. If, if, if your number one priority is relationship, then your number one priority is love. Because they go together. All right? So Luke 19.10, to seek and save the lost, to prioritize relationships and love. That's one of those gifts that God gives us in our spiritual backpack. 1 Corinthians 2.18, we have, it says, an ability with, with the mind of Christ to discern the spiritual and understand spiritually situations in our lives. The parable of the sower, which is one of my favorite parables, I've said that before. Seed is sown in all kinds of soil, rocky, um, fertile, thorny, whatever. Uh, some, the thorns choke it out. Some is in great soil and bears wonderful fruit. Some, it says, the evil one comes and snatches it away before it can be understood. What does that mean? You don't have spiritual discernment. If the evil one snatches the truth away and now you're being deceived and believing something that's not true that takes you to fear instead of love. Okay? So if you are discerning if, and, and typically you feel, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm being able to discern correctly in, in spiritual issues, in mental uh, mind, will, and emotions, in interactions, in circumstances, you're, you're able to discern and figure the, the right course to take, the right thing to change, and then actually do it. Okay? That's what that mind of Christ, it, that's what that gift is. Alright? So without the mind of Christ, you discern wrongly have the wrong attitude, and typically end up with the wrong result. And further down the low road, not the high road. Okay? So, there's two of them. A new heart, new spirit, the mind of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. The word righteousness simply means right standing. You are right, you are declared innocent. You're right, all right? Well, there's five things about this, in my opinion. Number one, this righteousness, and this is from Romans 1 and Romans 3, this righteousness or right standing that God gives to us as a gift, the righteousness of Christ in the person of Christ, Jesus and I are one, the mystery of the ages, okay, is revealed which means it's something that has been hidden, but now, all right, grand opening, here it is, all right? So it's revealed and manifested, and the manifested tells us it's about action. So this is not just something that God declares as a truth in the world and the universe. No, it's something that he takes action with. This is a tool 
that he acts on us, makes us the righteousness of Christ, gives us the righteousness of Christ. For our manifestation, the actions and behaviors in our life to be what we want and yield positive fruit rather than what we don't want and yield the fear, anger, low self-worth, etc. Okay, number two. This righteousness is God's righteousness and power to judge. Meaning, who's living by love, who's living by fear. The, the passage at, at the entrance exam to heaven that we talked about a few weeks ago. When did we see you lonely? When did we see you sick? When did we give you a cup of cold water? Whenever you did it to the least of these. So, God's righteousness and all-powerful gives him the only true ability to judge rightly. Romans 1, 16. Number three, the righteousness of God in the Old Testament points to God's salvation, truth, and mercy to save. So number two is God's righteousness to judge. Number three is God's righteousness, which is action, remember, to save, and saving us is an action. So God is actively saving us after revealing this righteousness and then giving it to us if we will accept that gift. Number four, God's righteousness comes through the person of Jesus in order to forgive all sin and to make us free. It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set you free no longer be burdened by a yoke of slavery. And the Corinthian church that we've talked about, about to split over the three issues, circumcision, meat sacrifice to idols, and holy days. And Paul said, do whatever you want, but you have to love and accept each other. God's righteousness comes through the person of Jesus and, and always creates forgiveness of sin and freedom. If Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I am in right relationship with him. Romans 3.24. Number five, God's righteousness produces grace. The miracle of all miracles. I call this God's miracle plan of love. That before the foundation of the world, Jesus was the lamb slain. Before the foundation of the world, Romans 8, God foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Okay? God's righteousness produces grace. Unmerited favor that gives us our uh, golden ticket. We're saved in a state of grace, etc. Okay. And I believe the summary kind of to the righteousness, these five points here, is Romans 12, which I believe describes how we get to our best life possible. And let me read just a few verses here. Therefore, and you're all probably uh, pretty familiar with this passage, but so powerful, so wonderful. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies 
as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We each have different gifts according to the grace given us. And then it mentions some of the gifts. Then, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And then, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and heart in Christ Jesus and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay. So I believe those are the special, not secret, but maybe undervalued gifts we think a lot about forgiveness and um, uh, grace and, 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 you know, all those love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all, all those things. I will never forsake you. I will protect you. I will always give you away. All, all those promises of God. But to me, these are some that God says he gives me. They're in my backpack. But I know in my life, even up until even up until today, there's lots of times that I kind of forget about them and forget that I can use these things. God has given them to me. I've got them in order to solve problems, in order to um, uh, shift from the negative to the positive, in order to discern the truth in a given situation. That was one of the big ones. You'll be able to under to discern spiritual things and you'll have an understanding of those that's beyond your knowledge or whatever it's given by God okay and um, here the first Corinthians 218 we have it says we have the mind of Christ and that mind of Christ gives us spiritual discernment understanding mirrors the heart of God it transforms us it creates action to the, to the best possible end result. Uh, God always judges rightly and is the only one who can. We, we need to stop that. Uh, God's righteousness creates salvation and truth to save us. Uh, it comes through Jesus to forgive our sins and give us freedom. His righteousness creates grace in our life, real grace. And 
the summary, our best life possible. Okay? So, how's it going in your life with the new heart and spirit, the mind of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, and you being transformed to mirror what is important to God, the love, joy, peace side, to have spiritual discernment and understanding, to have salvation and truth, the best end results possible through God's power, through us, saved, and our best life or close to it. Well, I believe if we will take God at His word, thank you, thank you, and learn and, and experience what that grace is, okay? Read scripture where, uh, because God so loved the world, He gave. Before the foundations of the world, He did. Focus on what is unseen, not on what is seen. What is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Okay? Uh, if, we, if we start living our lives with the understanding, knowledge, intention for all these things that God intended to be manifested in our life, to actually be manifested in our life, then I believe we can have the change and go through chaos and pain to the other side and keep doing that over and over and over and every time we go up a little bit higher in our life. Little happier, little healthier, um, little farther uh, to the plus 10 on that minus 10 to plus 10 internal heart scale, okay? So uh, those are sort of the objectives and the essentials. Okay, now I want to take a look at, let's flip back over here just to remind you. Let's take a look, a little deeper look now at objectives. I'm only going to talk about two today. One, what is the meaning of life? Well, for this, for, to determine the meaning of life, I believe what we've been talking about for weeks and months, you have to go on your own journey. And I'm not saying you've got to take a single physical step. You might, but you've got to go on an inward journey to determine who you are, what is your worldview, what is the truth of this world, what is the truth of spirituality versus uh, the physical versus the mental and conscious mind, will, and emotions, okay? What's the truth, okay? Because I've got one life, and I don't want to live a life based on lies and deception that takes me to an end result that's not the life I want, and maybe all along the journey until I get to the end, I don't know I'm on the wrong road. I know I don't feel very good. I know um, I have a lot of negative thoughts and and do things I wish I wouldn't do. I maybe know I've got some habits and addictions that I may be hiding, maybe not, trying to get rid of, not trying to get rid of, uh, trying over and over and over to get rid of, and it keeps coming back, relapse, uh, try again, relapse, try again, relapse, try again, okay? Um, you have to know 
your identity, who you are. And to know that, you have to know, is there a God or is there not? If there is, which God? Or is there not a God at all? Okay? Um, I did a teaching a long time ago. It's not in New Jesus, but I think you can find it. I think it's in um, uh, the Greatest Principle series or the Spiritual Laws of Nature uh, uh, series. It's called The Five Big Questions, and these are the first two. But for this week, uh, I'd like you to soul search, heart search, and maybe even search search on the internet or call some people, talk to some people, read some stuff, all right? Uh, I did this after Hope kicked me out of the house in 1987, okay? Uh, she said, Alex, I can't stand to live with you another day. I want you to please leave the house. And I did. And she was right. It was the best thing I ever did. Then uh, I was praying that night and heard a voice uh, or had a thought, if that is less woo-woo to you. It wasn't an audible voice, but I assumed it was God because it wasn't something I would have thought. Alex, not only do you not love hope, you don't even know what love is. And uh, everything in my life at that time was crashing. My health, my, our finances, everything. Okay, so I had nothing to lose. And now the final straw, hope kicks me out of the house. And I think, okay, my life as I know it is probably over. I, I work in full-time ministry. And once she divorces me, they're going to fire me. Although they were going to fire me anyway, just for not doing my job well. Okay, which they should have. But after the transformation, after Hope kicked me out of the house, they not only didn't fire me, they gave me a raise and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Because all of a sudden, I started doing my job great. All right? So this week, what's the meaning of life? According to you. What's your worldview? Is there a God or is there not? Okay. Um, all I can do is tell you my journey, all right? And I threw everything overboard. After Hope kicked me out of the house, I threw uh, Christianity overboard. I threw, I tried to throw everything overboard that had been a um, fact of life, you might say, for me up until then because nothing was working. And I was in absolute agony and felt like I was at the bottom of the barrel. And uh, yeah, I, I never thought about suicide, but I did think I wish I was dead a couple of times, okay? But anyway, I went on that search. I started reading every religious text. I started studying atheism. I started studying, uh, that's when I first started studying quantum physics, molecular biology, things like that to see how is nature made and how does it work and things like that. Okay, and where I, got, where I got to in that is that if there is a God, then I believe he or she has to be a God of love because that's how we work. That's how our body works correctly. Okay? If if we work by fear, if we focus on fear, 
we start to malfunction. That's that fight or flight thing we've been talking about that's only supposed to happen once or twice a year for 10 or 15 minutes and then we're right back to physiological peace. But most people are going there eight to 10 or more times a day. They're living there, okay? So is there a God or not? And, and now, if evolution is true, meaning there is no God, atheist, okay? then what we should see is how our body works correctly is when we're focused on fear. Why? Why in the world? Well, if you studied evolution much, the big tenet of evolution going forward through the millennia is survival of the fittest. Okay? That's it. If evolution is true, read the textbooks, then the order of the day that fits with evolution is survival of the fittest, which is seek pleasure and avoid pain. The problem is, if as an adult we focus on seek pleasure and avoid pain, it puts us into physiological stress. If we're already in stress and focus on seek pleasure and avoid pain, it spikes our stress. And then we break at our weakest link and then break again and again and again and again and you, you get the idea. If we're living in love and the hypothalamus doesn't receive a fear-based signal, it receives a love-based signal, we function correctly and we don't break. And science tells us we should live to approximately 120 and healthy. So stress and fear are stealing away a third of our adult lifespan. And, and we don't even know it because we see the same thing happening with everyone else. Uh, the lady uh, just died recently who, had, who uh, lived the longest in the modern era. She was from France. I believe she lived to be about 122, 123. You want to hear something interesting about her? She was a chain smoker, and I believe this is correct. She, she ate about three pounds of chocolate a week. You hear that? and live longer than anyone in modern times. I saw one, art, one article that interviewed a friend of hers who had known her a good while, and they said, we're talking about, yeah, she didn't have a very healthy lifestyle, but nothing bothered her. She, she didn't worry. Well, the longest study ever done, biggest study at Boston University by Dr. Thomas Paris, of people who lived to be over 100 years old, and they were looking for a common thread and, and studied well over 10,000 people who lived to be over 100, over many decades. They only found one common thread. It wasn't diet. It wasn't exercise. They didn't worry. Okay? Well, that is love-based. Okay? That's love-based. They're, they're not focused on seek pleasure, avoid pain. They're focused on the present moment, what is good, what is positive, you might say love-based, all right? Not in the past, not in the future, okay? They're also not worried, evidently, the lady in France wasn't, about what they eat. They just don't worry, okay? Well, um, that's directly from Scripture. Think about these things what is true, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise, etc. 
And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, if you're having the opposite, if you're, if you're not having peace but having anxiety, it means you're not thinking about those things. You're thinking about their opposites. Not what is true, but what but you're being deceived, a falsehood. Not what is lovely, but what is fear-based. Not what is beautiful, but what's ugly. Judgmentalism instead of grace, kindness, and forgiveness. Okay? So, for me, when I was trying to figure out what is the meaning of life, the first step, is there a God? And if there is a God... I believed he, she had to be a God of love because it's how we're built, which is in direct conflict to how we would work if evolution and survival of the fittest was the truth. Okay, um, also, shortly after Hope kicked me out of the house, I went to, to a uh, lecture at Middle Tennessee State University by a visiting uh, doctor scientist from NASA. He was literally a rocket scientist at NASA. And he'd written a book called The Source. I've got it here somewhere. Wonderful book. I think it's out of print, but you can still find it some places pretty cheap. And he told us how he was an atheist and he decided he was going to prove to the world that Christianity was the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind, and he was going to do it with science alone, hard math and numbers that no one could dispute, okay? And so he did that, and long story short, he ended up convincing himself that the only possible way we're here and this exists the way it is, is that there has to be a God. There's no other possibility he said. Now, at the end of the evening, after he'd shown us all the math, about half of which I didn't understand, at the end he said, okay, let me sum it up this way. And he pulled out a beautiful antique gold big pocket watch. Said, I think it was some relative of his or whatever. And he said, okay, everybody see this? This has got X number of parts. I don't remember. I think it was like 120 or 30 parts. All those tiny little springs and screws and things that are in the back and the, you know, real delicate uh, arms of the clock and everything. Uh, the glass crystal, the gold. Uh, any, anyway, 120 or 30 parts. He said, okay, I want you to imagine that I went up to the top of Mount Everest with this watch and this, uh, and he held up a paper grocery bag, okay? And he said, I took apart, imagine that I take apart every part of the watch so that all hundred and some odd parts are not connected anymore. They're all just loose individually, and I dump them all in this grocery bag, okay? Now imagine that I roll up the end of the grocery bag, shake it vigorously, and when you shake it, you hear all those ting, 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 tings, you know, and think well, maybe some of them are even breaking. Maybe they're not, I don't know, but they're all smashing against each other, which probably isn't great for all those delicate little small parts. But anyway, he says, okay, I shake it up, then I unroll the top, and then I'm going to grab it at the bottom of the bag, and I'm going to sling it 180 degrees around so that those little bitty tiny parts 
go all around Mount Everest. And maybe some of them fall only like a foot away, but some of them go over a cliff and go thousands of feet down and everywhere else too, okay? Then he said, what do you think the odds would be or the possibility that if my great-grandson or grandson came back to the top of Mount Everest in exactly 100 years to the day of when I went up there and slung the watch around, okay? And I remember he said, okay, you still with me? 100 years to the day, my relative comes back to the top of Mount Everest. He said, what do you think the odds would be that that pocket watch would now be sitting right on the peak of Everest, undamaged, running, and on the exact time to the second. What do you think the odds of that would be? You think that's probable? If it happened a hundred times, how many times would that be up there? If it happened a million times, how many times would that be up there, undamaged, right time? Well, the answer is no, none. It's impossible. It cannot even happen one time. And he went on to explain that there's a number like that in science where beyond that number, it, it can't even happen once, like in the Big Bang. It's impossible. And he said when you consider all the factors of this earth and oxygen and gravity and how we work and our immune system and everything else. He said, it's the odds of the watch thing are far, far, far better than this just happening without a God or a supreme being. Okay? And that got me at least in that place where I had thrown everything overboard. So now, it's which God? I believe there's a God, which God? So I read all the text, New Age that says I'm God, you know, everything like that. And what I came, what I came up with is that if there is a God, I now believe there is, but which God? The true God would have to have certain characteristics based on nature and the way things work, okay? Number one, God would have to be a God of love because we work right on love, live any other way, and we start malfunctioning and breaking, okay? Love would always choose as the object of its love grace and not punishment. So. The right way has to have, I believe, grace. Because that's what grace would do a hundred times out of a hundred. The right way has to have justice. Because, ju because God is a God of justice. And it is one of the primary fundamentals of us as, as human beings, whether it's America or the world, or my family, or just me and one other person in a relationship, okay? We, we, we make up rules. Now, sometimes they're stated, sometimes they're not. But it's okay, I'll be your friend if, you know, you treat me okay and are 
nice and we get along and our personalities mesh and I mean all that all right so there has to be love there has to be truth there has to be justice there has to be grace and I could only find one worldview that had all of those and it was this one especially having real grace that's been paid for and real justice while at the same time having grace which means I'm declared righteous not by my own merit remember the righteousness was apart Romans 3 righteousness apart from the law okay so God gives that to me, makes that in me. The right, it comes through Jesus, the righteousness of Christ. Okay? Um, so it's a righteousness apart from the law. So it's not by doing what's right. It's given to me free simply because I choose God and love, which I'm pre-programmed for, but I'm also pre-programmed for fear and seek pleasure, avoid pain. I'm pre-programmed with the law that's written on the heart, the conscience, but I'm also programmed, programmed with um, seek pleasure, avoid pain, stimulus response, um, the law of attraction, karma, you reap what you sow. That's the way everything on na in nature works, Newton's three laws of motion, okay? But God, in His power, knowledge, omnipotence, grace sets that natural law aside, pays the price for my adherence to the law forever, gives me the golden ticket, gives me my new identity, which is righteousness, a new heart, new spirit, transformed, the mind of Christ, discerning the spiritual, undivided, I will obey Him because now I have love, and that's what love does, mirroring the heart of God, mercy, sin, uh, forgiveness of sin, freedom, salvation, truth, the actions that I need in my life, grace in my best life possible. Second Corinthians 5, 14, and this is where we ended last week and it was part of what I said was homework if you choose to do it. The love of Christ compels us and that's Paul. In the original language the underlying of Christ's love compels us. What does that really mean? It means a driven force. What does force mean? Power. God's power. Manifested. Okay? A power. A driven power. Is that my willpower? No! It's not. It's the power of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in me. The power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. It's Jesus who has now been given all authority in heaven and on earth and is at the right hand of the Father continually interceding for me as the Father is constantly at work for our good. Both scriptures. So, 
I'm going to end today the place we ended last week. What compels you? What is the driving force behind your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your actions, your direction in life, what, how you make decisions, how you problem solve? What's the driving force? Is it the love of Christ or is it anything else? Because that's what it comes down to. The love of Christ or anything else. And if you choose anything else, seek pleasure, avoid pain, a new boat, uh, drugs that make me feel good, alcohol, pornography, lying and gossiping about people, whatever, okay? Then yeah, I'm, I'm plugged in to a power that takes me farther and farther into that fear-based, selfish, seek pleasure and avoid pain life. If the love of Christ is what's compelling me, then apart from the law, I am declared righteous and God's power does His will. You will obey me. And I have a new heart, new spirit, mind of Christ, transformed, and the best life possible, or closer and closer to it. Okay? So, well, I'm going to leave number two, what's your purpose in life, till next week. But this week, um, you can go back and watch that teaching on the five big questions if you want. Or, don't worry about it, we're going to go through them. But number one... What's the meaning of life? What is your worldview? And do you own it? Or you just believe that because your parents believe that? Or teachers? Or anybody? Well, if that's why you believe it, you don't own it. Which means it, doesn't, it takes your power. You don't have God's power because that's not really maybe your belief. It's never been tested. Okay? It, you should always be ready to give an answer for what you believe. Well, you can't do that if you haven't searched to find the facts and then determine what you believe. Okay? Last week I talked about a guy who asked to meet with Hope and I, said they were concerned because they thought we were going to hell because we were worshiping in a church that uh, had an instrument that played and uh, they had real wine for the Lord's Supper. And there was one or two other things. It had the wrong name on the building, okay? But they sincerely were concerned about us because they felt like um, we were going to hell because of those things. And when I moved to try to discuss those things in truth and love, the answer was, oh, I, I don't read scripture. I don't really know what it says. I don't understand it. It's hard for me. It says one thing one place, another thing another place. So I just do whatever the preacher says. And I, and I remember what my dad taught me growing up. Well, that's good, and it's better than believing the wrong thing, okay? But you don't own that belief. And so you're always going to have a glass ceiling above you. So I, I 
encourage you starting this week, start your journey. That's what we've been talking about, the essentials and objectives of the journey. And I would start it right here. What, is, what do you believe is the meaning of life? Is there a God or not? If there's a God, what God? If there's not, then survival of the fittest, seek pleasure, avoid pain, what I want, when I want, get as much as I can, should be the way things work correctly. But I warn you, it's not. That's how things malfunction. So, what compels you? When you're at work, what compels you? Is it truth and love, or is it money to get a deal, manipulate something in the background that's not truthful, that's not loving and caring, that's selfish, trying to get more for yourself than maybe would be due, or not a great deal for the other guy rather than win, 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 win? What compels you in your marriage? What compels you in your most important relationship? What compels you with your children? What compels you with your time? You spend your time for love, joy, peace, etc., or for seek pleasure, avoid pain. What compels you when you have a dilemma that you need to solve? Is it you feel anger and, and um, irritation and frustration and unforgiveness and all that kind of stuff? Or do you feel love, joy, and peace even in the midst of the pain? Whatever is compelling you, are you closer to minus 10 or are you closer to plus 10? And and what I'd like to get across at the end, you can't change and get to the better place, typically without it getting a little bit worse first. Everybody wants to be different. Nobody wants to change. I believe you start to change with what is compelling you, what is the meaning of life, what is your worldview. Okay? Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, blessed day.